opinions expressed by the host of Black Talk Radio News and any guests represents their views and their views only and do not necessarily represent the views of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Welcome to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. It is a Monday night, February the 25th, 2019. Happy early birthday to my mother, Linda Reed, who gave birth to me. Um, what, 50 something years ago? Man, 53 years ago, 1966. Shout out to my moms. Um, she has been uh, a rock in my life, you know, giving me the foundation that I have that I later would build on to. So just looked at the date and was like, wow, tomorrow's, tomorrow is mom's birthday. So happy birthday to my mama, man. I'm going to have to make her a cake or something. Welcome to the broadcast. Uh, tonight, I'm not even going to put time limits on how long I will be on air. I don't have a regular schedule. Um, I do podcasts that I don't broadcast over the radio station, but I, you know, post on the Black Talk Radio Network and distribute them out to the other uh, platforms and what have you, where we have many, many followers. Good evening to those followers. Um, and when I say follower, I don't mean as a follower of me, just meaning that you're a subscriber. So I should say subscribers, right? Because we got to get out of this thinking about being followers. I was just having this conversation the other day about somebody who threatened to unfollow me on social media because they didn't like my point of view about something. I was like, look, go right ahead. I'm not getting paid by any of these social platforms for you to quote unquote, follow me. Okay. Um, and don't be a follower. Be a critical thinker. I want y'all to be critical thinkers. And that is uh, why I created this program. It's about critical thinking. It's about analysis. It's not about emotion. It is not about disinformation. I do my research, as I was telling someone else. I have the receipts, as they say, about everything I talk about or anything I give a point of view on. I have done the research. I have some background on it. Does that mean I have all the information? Does it mean that my analysis is always correct? Well, it's correct to me, but that's a matter of opinion, you know, and we got to make room for opinions and what have you and not get in our emotions and attack people and be disrespectful and vitriolic simply because we don't agree with their point of view. I've never met a person that I 
was 100% in agreement with, you know, not even my own mother that I just talked about. You know, we got our differences on on a variety of uh, issues. So anyway, tonight um, I want to, of course, I'm going to go over some news before we get into the main topics. But the main topics that I want to discuss tonight is Senator Kamala Harris waffling on reparations. You know, you could tell that this is her first presidential campaign. Now, she's run for office and won office in the past, so I wouldn't expect her to be making the mistakes that she's making out there on the campaign trail. Um, she seems like, you know, she's still green and what have you. Um, but she, after saying she supports some form of reparations, uh, she was asked by a reporter for the GRIO about if she supports reparations for black people and she waffled on it. She waffled on it. She changed her tune. She went from going from I support some form of reparation to I don't do stuff specifically for black people. Now, I know she has a lot of supporters out there because I've been you know, talking about her record. I mean, that's my job. That I mean, what's the point of me doing BTR News if I don't weigh in on these things? What's the point of me calling myself a citizen journalist if I can't be objective about these things, you know? And I ain't got nothing against Kamala Harris personally. What I have something against is the things she stood for in the past. And I'm not one to fall for lip service. I, You know, people progress and they change their mind on the issues, but there should be a record of, of that progression. And there should be a straightforward explanation of how, why, how and why I changed my mind. I'm not hearing any of that from her because y'all know just the other day. She was celebrating the Supreme Court, and I put a podcast out about this, but she was supporting the Supreme Court decision that says that the states are violating, um, I, I don't have the Ten Amendments of the Bill of Rights all memorized right now. Um, I know the first one, I know the Eighth Amendment, but, you know, when you're seizing people's property, they call it civil asset forfeiture. And that's when the government, without charging you with the crime, can take your property, take your money, and the Supreme Court said that's unconstitutional. And she uh, tweeted out, oh, I support this because, you know, it has a disproportionate impact on poor people and whatnot. But then when I look up her record, because that's what my job is to do as a citizen journalist, is not just trust what you're saying, but I'm going to do the research. So when I did the research, I found that as California Attorney General, she was pushing hard. The language used was strong advocate for creating a state law in California to seize people's assets without ever even charging them with a crime. Okay? And there was, during that time period between then and when she got in the Senate, she never said anything else about it. But then the Supreme Court rules that, hey, this is unconstitutional. Now she putting out a tweet like, hey, she had this view all along. So, you know, she told she told people, hey, I support some form of reparation. Now, I don't watch that show, The Breakfast Club. I don't watch it. I don't watch their videos. I don't, I just don't. I'm not a fan of that show. Um, but 
you know, for some reason, that's a top destination of people who are in the Democratic Party uh, to go on. And she went on there. And I think it was on that show where she was asked about reparations. She was like, oh, I support some forms of reparation. But then when she was asked by the reporter for the grill, this black woman asked her the last question in the interview, uh, she waffled on it. So that's going to be one of our main topics. Now, we got one of my least favorite representatives in Congress. Um, I'm so glad I don't live down there in whatever district he lives in in Georgia. I live in North Carolina, and I'm not happy with with the representation. I basically have no representation. I still vote, but I'm, you know, that Republican uh, that's in office, um, man, his name just escaped me. Patrick McHenry, he he doesn't represent me. Although I do call that office and I advocate for the issues that's important to me, like ending 21st century slavery and human trafficking. I got into a um, pretty combative discussion with one of his staff members who was talking about, oh, when I think about slavery, I'm thinking about people just picking up trash on the side of the road. No, dude, come on now. Come on now. Don't tell me you don't know what Unicor does. Don't tell me you don't know that the state of North Carolina leases prisoners out to turkey farms like my little brother was leased out to. It's convict leasing. Never ended. So so anyway, John Lewis, what is he in Congress for? I mean, because he ain't representing black people. You know, and he's supposed to be representing his constituencies in whatever district he is in in Georgia. But man, I never see this guy advancing any legislation that's going to help black people, the majority of his constituents. Why y'all keep voting for that man? I, I guess because, you know, nobody ever challenges him for his seat. And I'll be talking about that. I think John Lewis needs to be primaried. Just like these progressive progressive candidates like Alexander Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others have other progressive have challenged establishment Democrats who've been in office for like 10, 20, 30 years and they never get challenged in a primary and you know she was just one of those who challenged him in a challenged an establishment uh, Democrat in a primary and was able to defeat him. I'm proposing the same thing with John Lewis and any other congressional uh, uh, black representative. If you in a congressional black caucus, then, you know, that says you're supposed to be representing the issues of black people or why else did you join that caucus? But John Lewis never. I ain't going to say never. You never say never. So let me put it like this. I've yet to see any legislation that he has sponsored or signed on to uh, specifically that's going to help black people, even if you have to be codified and frame it in a way to where you're using non-color-coded language, um, I still don't see anything. In fact, I see the exact opposite. You know, during the Ferguson Rebellion, um, you know, John Lewis had just signed some legislation like they do annually to... Uh, give the police, the local, your local police department, militarized weaponry. Okay, funding the slave catchers and what have you. Or he will vote to 
go overthrow this country or that country, or he will vote to um, give the nation of Israel, um, you know, ammunition so that they can kill nonviolent protesters, you know, at their border who's trying to get back home to the land of their ancestors in a peaceful demonstration. So John Lewis has to be primary. And I was not surprised to see this article come out where he's pushing an education bill for black people. No, I'm, I'm sorry, not for black people. He ain't pushing for for anything for black people in this bill. He's pushing a education bill for the quote-unquote dreamers. Now, again, I ain't got nothing against them dreamers, them children that was brought here um, by their parents and have been here all, all their lives. Um, they weren't born here or else, you know, they wouldn't need these uh, protections and all this legislation. On they, I ain't got nothing against them. But I'm going to take care of my own house for first. And how is John Lewis pushing some a bill for them and they can't even vote for him? You know what I'm saying? Because they can't vote. They're not citizens. But he's pushing a bill for dreamers to get access to higher education. I ain't got, I ain't really got nothing against justice, but you know, uh, everything in its time and in its place. That's not something a congressional black congress member should be voting for unless you have attached something to that bill, like H.R. 40, that's going to help black people. You know what I'm saying? And then the last topic I want to talk about, I just had an interesting hour-long conversation. I don't want to say the name of the group, but it's a, a, a reparations group that has been around and I, I don't even think it's accurate for me to call them a reparations group because they're not seeking monetary reparations but I had a very interesting conversation uh, with one of their representatives that I'm going to try to get on live on air Thursday or Friday night and we were talking about what does it take to advance legislation that's going to help the descendants of victims of slavery here in America. What what does it take? How do you get legislation passed? And they actually got some legislation um, in Kentucky right now. And, you know, they, they want to get it through Kentucky. Um, They're po possibly going to go a state by state um, and then try to get it at the federal level. I don't have all the details, but I had a very interesting conversation. And one of the things that we were in agreement is, is that black people be playing politics the wrong way. Or, or we be trying to engage in politics and we don't have what it takes to get our agenda or any legislation uh, passed for us. You know why? Now, now, I know that the majority of black people in this country don't have monetary, monetary resources. They don't. They, that's just a fact. When it comes to income inequality, they're rock bottom. Maybe American Indians might be below them. They got some extreme poverty on some of them reservations. But, um, you know, we're at the bottom. So we don't have those resources like certain communities who have a lot of money to give to. Let's use APAC as an example, as Representative Omar got called out for calling out APAC 
in how the money they use to influence and pass legislation that's going to benefit Americans. Oh, no, no, it's not going to benefit Americans unless you're an American running a defense company, you know, where you're making weapons and, and ammunition and and Israel's going to get U.S. taxpayer money to then buy those weapons and ammunition from your American company. So that's the only way that it benefits Americans. It benefits the war profiteers, the merchants of death, and what have you. But that's I'm just using them as an example. We can use big tobacco, the big tobacco lobby. We can use um, the pharmaceutical lobby. We can use the American Legislative Exchange Commission, which was which is the billionaire Koch brothers run that lobbying organization. I mean, they so strong that they bring in state legislatures to teach them how to pass legislation that the corporations involved with Alec has written. And then they take it back to the states. And they pass that legislation or they take it to the federal government and they pass that legislation. Name me one black institution, one black super PAC, one black organization like ALEC that's moving in those spaces. Now, like I said, I know we ain't got a lot of money to give. That's why Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project perhaps is struggling you know, um, but come on, don't act like y'all ain't got $24 a year. All right. So, but anyway, I understand that we are economically deprived, but we do got the Oprah's. We do got the Bob Johnson's. We do got a bunch of multimillionaire athletes. Um, and they do, the athletes do put stuff back into the community. They do a lot of charity work. Some of them, you know, education is their thing. Some of them have started schools and, and what have you. But but the Oprah's of the world, the Bob Johnson's of the world, um, you just name a black person that, that's, that's got some some money just or currency. Do they, have they started a super PAC? to advance legislation through Congress the way APAC does, the way ALEC does, the way Big Pharma does. No, no. See, we think that for some reason, we think that all we have to do is rabble, rabble rouse, meaning just yell at people and, and just flood them with comments and creating hashtags, and that's going to get some legislation passed. That's not how it, do, that's not how it works in America. Until Citizens United, which says that corporations are people too, and they have free speech, meaning that they can use their money to advance uh, their political agenda, until Citizens United has been overturned and big money is pushed out of the political system and, and outlawed, I should say, not pushed out, but outlawed, then... Guess what? We behind the eight ball and we ain't going to get nothing advanced. And that's why we haven't gotten anything advanced. Let's be honest about these things. Let's put on our critical thinking caps. Let's analyze this, you know, how the system works. Because if you don't know how the system works, then, man, how do you expect to get anything done? So we just going to keep going in circles every year 
talking about we want this and we want that, but, you know, we ain't doing what it takes. And again, I'm mainly speaking to the billionaire class or the multimillionaire class, you know, that they rely on black people. Well, they don't necessarily rely on black people because I don't go to the movies, you know. I don't go to the movies to spend my money, so, you know, I'm not helping the black actors and uh, Spike Lee's of the world because I, 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 I have quit. I quit going to the movies when Public Enemy came out with burn Hollywood burn you know so so but again my point is do we know how to play the game or do we know how the game is played apparently we don't and this it goes back to something you know somebody who I learned a lot from um you know even in his death because of his writings and and videos of him speaking on certain issues but this is something I learned from Malcolm X a long time ago is that black people as a collective in the United States are politically immature that's not to say that none of us know how the game is played but those of us who know how the game is played end up in a congressional black caucus passing the agenda of people that don't look like they constituents that put them in office in the first place. So those are the main topics for tonight. If you would like to make a comment or ask a question of yours truly, you can give us a call at 712-770-4160-712-770-4160. The participant code is 269-626. That is 269-626. To get in the queue, just hit star six and follow the instructions, all right? And um, I will bring you on board and get your question, answer it the best of my ability, or um, give you an opportunity to express a comment, all right? Now, so before I hit those main topics, let me just share uh, quickly, um, some things that caught my eye in the news. Uh, tag tag uh, shared this with me in btrcommunity.com. That's our social media platform for this network, uh, btrcommunity.com. And when I posted, you know, my program promo for tonight in btrcommunity.com, uh, tag posted an article that he wanted me um, to share. So I actually saw this. Thanks, Tag, for your contribution, but uh, Twitter rejects Rubio's not-so-subtle death threat to Maduro. Uh, Marco Rubio, Republican, is he a congressman or a senator? I think he's a senator. No, I know he's a senator. Senator Marco Rubio, okay, um, who gets money from APAC, who also gets money from the private, private prison lobby, and what have you. Again, you know, again, are we playing the game, or do we know the rules of the game? Do we have the resources? Do we have the institutions to advance an agenda? So Marco Rubio, who actually attached a, what they call a combating BDS to punish Americans who, who <coughs> excuse me, 
punish Americans who, who participate in a boycott, divestment, sanction campaign to prevent them from ever getting any kind of government contracts if they think Israel is practicing racism and pressure needs to be applied to them to get them to stop practicing racism. So he attached that to a quote-unquote must-pass must bill. Um, so that just kind of ties into my later topic. But anyway... You know that they're trying to do regime change in Venezuela, and it's based in white supremacy. Because if you look at uh, the Chavistas, as they're known, um, that supported and put uh, Hugo Chavez in the, into office, um, you know, then his heir apparent was Nicolas Maduro, and that government is made up mostly of non-white people. And if you look at this Guido guy, you know, this Guido guy, he's white. And the people that's in that National Assembly coalition, they're all white. When you look at the uh, the ones they trying to take out of power, they're people of color and black people, indigenous people. So he sent out a, twit, a tweet with the picture of Muammar Gaddafi, the Pan-African leader of Libya, who was murdered during the Obama administration, even though Libya at that time, Gaddafi had entered into um, a treaty with the Bush administration, therefore the U.S. government, and said that he won't seek weapons of mass destruction if you lift the sanctions on us. Well, they, of course, can't be trusted. Just ask the American Indian about treaties being broken and what have you. So um, they wanted to get his his um, weapons stockpiles, you know, and so they can transfer them to them jihadists in Syria to overthrow uh, Bashar. Uh, what's his name? Assad. I don't know his first name or, or what have you. But then they also, of course want the U.S. corporations, uh, oil corporations, big oil, to get that sweet, crude oil uh, that's in Libya. Okay, so various reasons why they created a false flag campaign saying Gaddafi was killing his own people instead of picking up the red phone and calling their U.S. ally in the so-called war on terror to find out what was true. We got a whole bunch, we, we got a disinformation campaign with Hillary Clinton running point who called for the murder of Gaddafi and it's on video of him being brutalized, including a bayonet up his rectum with the CIA jihadist assets shouting Allah Akbar. Okay, Marco Rubio took screenshots of, of Gaddafi being murdered and sent them out over Twitter as a threat towards Maduro. That happened on Twitter. Did Marco Rubio get banned from Twitter for promoting violence and violating their terms of service? Of course not. Of course not. Then related to that, you got Mark, uh, what's his name? Pence. I forget his first name right now. The vice president of C uh, of USA Inc. I think he actually traveled to Colombia and standing on the border using not so coded language about killing Maduro. 
and not really a peep from your establishment Democrats and not really a peep from too many uh, progressives that's in office. Okay? So I, I just thought um, that was just very interesting. Again, not surprising. It's interesting because they're, before they used to do these things in a covert manner. They weren't so blatant, they, you know, about uh, killing and assassinating these other leaders. But now they just blatant about it. I mean, John Bolton said it'll be great if American corporations can go in there and get at that Venezuelan oil. It'll profit Americans greatly. They're not even trying to hide it no more, people. They're not even trying to hide it. So that happened. Then also you had a Republican, John Cornyn, tweet out a quote from Mussolini, Benito Mussolini, the former fascist uh, Republican leader of Italy who quit even pretending like they believe, he believed in democracy and set himself up as a dictatorship who, you know, uh, defined fascism as really corporatism where you have a partnership between the state and corporations. That's what we have here in the United States. That's really what USA Inc. is all about, which is a corporation acting on behalf of privately held corporations and some publicly held corporations. So, you know, we have fascism. Y'all can talk about democracy and freedom and all you want to. How are you going to be exporting some freedom from the country that has the world's largest prison slave population? So let me move on. This other story I thought was very important. You know, a lot of people, um, their children, including my grandchild, and you know, um, even when when my girls were were children, I always you know taught them how to use technology. They were using computers like at five and six years old. You know, can get on there and type and all of that. You know. Um, they didn't have iPads out back then, but I bought them leap pads. You know, these were educational little uh, computerized pads to teach them lessons and stuff like that. So anyway, my grandson got an iPad and, and you know, besides the educational stuff that, that we put on the iPad, he watches YouTube videos, those little YouTube videos that they make for children. He'll be, you'll hear them in there laughing and and yelling at the screen sometimes because something's so funny or whatever. Well, we have to do a better better job, and I'm talking to us all, of monitoring what our children, especially our very, very young children, are 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 watching on these YouTube videos because according to the Mercury News via the Washington Post, YouTube and YouTube kids videos are hiding suicide tips for children. A pediatrician is exposing. Um, and so let me open up this video. And if you're listening to the podcast later, I will have a link to my news thread for tonight into BTR community. And you can, you know, uh, find the links there. But this comes to you from Mercury News. Fred uh, Freehess, a pediatrician and mother, had learned about the chilling videos over the summer when another mom spotted one on YouTube Kids. She said that minutes into the clip from a children's video game, a man appeared on the screen giving instructions on how to commit suicide. I was shocked, Hess said. 
noting that since then the scene has been spliced into several more videos from the popular Nintendo game Splatoon on YouTube and YouTube Kids, a video app for children. Hess, who is from Acala, Florida, has been blogging about the altered videos and working to get them taken down amid an outcry from parents and child health experts who say such vid- visuals can be damaging to children. W- on one of the YouTube, just to give y'all a visual, on on one on YouTube, I don't know if they, that's a misprint. On one of the videos on YouTube, it shows a man pop into the frame and he says, remember kids, holding while he's holding what appears to be an imaginary blade to the inside of his arm, sideways for attention, long ways for results. He's talking about slitting your wrist. If you just want attention, then cut your wrist sideways. But if you want to actually kill yourself, do it the long, cut it the long way. Hess says, I think it's extremely dangerous for our kids. Um, she said about the clip Sunday in a phone interview with the Washington Post. I think our kids are facing a whole new world with social media and internet access. It's changing the way they're growing and it's changing the way they're developing. I think videos like this put them at risk. You you bet you, man. And who are these sick people? To me, that ought to be a crime. I, and, you know, I'm not one for creating laws to criminalize any more behavior, but if you're promoting suicide to children, something bad ought to happen to you. I'm just going to be real about that. Something bad should happen to you. And you should pay for that. That's just sick. All right, so moving on to the next story. Trump may have committed at least eight crimes that have nothing to do with Russia, says an ethics watchdog. So y'all know the past two years we've been just bombarded with all this propaganda about Putin stealing the election from Hillary Clinton by way of Russian bots on social media, tricking black people into not voting for Hillary Clinton because we too stupid to look up her record. And, you know, we like voting for people who call us super predators. We like voting for people who got a bunch of money from the private prison lobby. We like voting for those people who have always been about uh, uh, slashing social programs for the poor because we like voting for people who call for the killing of pan-Africanists and, and what have you and then sit on the sidelines silent when they're told in their by email that, hey, some of these jihadist assets that we're using in Libya is targeting Africans, targeting black people engaged in ethnic cleansing and enslaving them. We don't hear nothing, nothing about that from them. But yes, Hillary Clinton is chiming in on the need for regime change in Venezuela because she's in agreement with the Trump administration. So, But anyway, I digress. I've always pushed back against that narrative. You don't know these companies that they are citing as experts. One of those companies got busted creating bots to interfere or to persuade people that Roy Moore was was uh, being supported by the Kremlin, you know? So then, like I tweeted out today on a, on, on, uh, related to 
um, something about bots. You know how that company how that company got kicked off of Facebook, but not only that, Hillary Clinton or Hillary Clinton Super PAC again. See, we don't have super PACs as as, in, as black people as a group because we don't apparently don't know the rules of the game. Yes, rabble rousing is important. Yes, creating media propaganda like this show is important to educate people and all of that. But the way stuff get passed, it seemed to take a lot of money and a lot of, you know, being able to have conferences where, hey, this, come meet this representative and, you know, you can get in the door for a $1,500 plate or $2,000 plate or a $5,000 plate, I mean, donation, and we'll put you on the panel to this person's campaign, you know, and, and we don't do those sort of things. When y'all see that kind of stuff happening, then you wonder why we can't get an agenda. It's not simple. It's not as simple as saying, well, it's caused white supremacy or racism why they did ignore it. No, it's cause uh, we don't know the rules of the game. And our, and I use that word lightly, but our Black representatives, they they too busy taking money from these corporations and lobbies to advance their agenda and not ours. Okay, so anyway, I don't. I, I people start talking about Russia, Russia, Russia. I'm like tuning you out because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. You just going off of what you was told. But Hillary Clinton. That should have gave you a clue when that super PAC admitted that it had spent a million dollars paying people to be trolls online for Hillary Clinton. Then that should give you some clue then, or at least some pause. Well, hell, maybe the Democrats and the Clinton machine is making this stuff up because she don't want to take responsibility for, for getting a billion dollars and still losing to a man who spent far less money and who's a reality show and was being openly racist. So let's blame it on Russia. <laughs> you know, let's not blame it on her incompetence. Let's not blame it on just how ugly of a person she is and the things that she has support. Let's not blame it on that. Let's blame it on Russia. Okay. But anyway, there has yet to be anyone indicted in this two-year investigation on Russian collusion, okay? But some crimes have been uncovered, and as this Raw Story article says, has nothing to do with Russia, but it has to do with ethics crimes and what have you. So, or violations of campaign finance laws, nothing to do with Russia, so let me share some of this. Government ethics watchdog, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, on Monday issued a blistering report laying out evidence that President Donald Trump has committed multiple crimes during both the 2016 presidential campaign and during his time in the Oval Office and all. Crew claims that there is compelling evidence that Trump has committed up to eight criminal offenses over the past three years. Among the crimes they allege Trump may have committed include causing, sometimes people make mistakes and it don't sound right when I read it out loud. Among the crimes they are alleging Trump 
uh, has committed include causing National Enquirer parent company American Media Incorporated to make an illegal campaign donation to former mistress Karen Madugo causing his campaign to file false reports with the Federal Elections Commission and conspiracy to defraud the United States by undermining the lawful function of the FEC and or violating federal campaign finance law related to hush money payments, false statements, and cover-ups of reimbursement payments to, to Cohen, talking about his lawyer, that they indicted Again, not for colluding with Russians, but other stuff um, made by the Trump organization. Um, Crew executive director Noah Bookbinder said that the report shows the president has significant criminal exposure. And that's without even talking about potential obstruction of justice charges for his efforts to undermine criminal investigations into him and his associates. So there is a link on the raw story. Uh, article that goes to the full report from Citizens for, for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Okay? So again, stop, and I don't mean this in a derogatory term. It's a term. I did not create this term. But it's an accurate term. But don't take it personal. Stop being a useful idiot of the Democratic Party. Stop being a useful idiot of the Clinton the crooked Clinton machine. Stop being a useful idiot of the partisan uh, l- l- media and just repeating this stuff that you hear about Russia, Russia, Russia and bots, bots, bots. And they ain't showed you no evidence. They just speculating and they pushing a narrative, putting it on Trump. What they've been doing using bots and, and stuff like that. And you would even say colluding with Russia uh, by Russians by way of Christopher Steele who they paid to do that dossier who then paid Russians to provide dirt on Trump. That's what they're accusing Trump of doing. So let's just stop with that. Because the man has committed plenty of other crimes and we don't have to make up stuff. Alright? So, so I thought that was interesting to see. Um, and I don't expect Trump to be indicted. I don't expect Trump to be put in. He's a sitting U.S. president. That that means even if it's not in law, he has immunity. They're not about to do nothing, you know, because when Obama came into office after all the documented crimes of the Bush administration, he was asked about if he would support the prosecution of George Bush and members of his administration, he said, it's time for us to look forward and not go backwards. They always, each administration always has the previous administrations back in protecting them from criminal prosecution. So if y'all think Donald Trump is going to be in an orange jumpsuit one day, uh, that's some fanciful thinking. He didn't, he's already in that club, not to mention the man's a billionaire. Okay. Anyway, let me move on. There was one other story that I, one last story I'll share, and then I'll talk about uh, my main topics. And again, I don't know how long I'll be on air. I, I'll take as much time as necessary. But again, if you have a question, um, I'll do my best to answer it. If you have a comment, some perspective or opinion or analysis you would like to share, you can give us a call at 712 770 4160 that's 
4160. The code is 269626. That's 269626. The last one is I'm going to poke some fun at Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders, uh, I tell you, man, the dude does have policy agenda that I support. Um, and this will come up later when we start talking about Kamala Harris uh, and why she doesn't support reparations, finally being honest about it. Uh, but what she does support, you know, uh, along those veins, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders does have some some policy proposals, not written specifically to help black people, but would help black people like free college uh, tuition at state universities and colleges. Uh, like Medicaid for all, which Kamala Harris says she supports. And she doubled down on that on a tweet today and pushing back against some criticism or whatnot. Um, so so anyway, Sanders has asked in an email his campaign surrogates to engage respectfully with Democratic rivals. Dude, you just playing right into these people's hands and whatnot. You're, you're basically saying that they're being truthful and honest about Bernie Bros and being bullied by Sanders supporters online when it was Hillary Clinton super PAC that paid for the trolls that was out here being all nasty and stuff and then you know they changed in there all this the Bernie Bros and all his supporters white males just all kind of deception and what have you so he's asking campaign sur surrogates now I can see like if you're on TV, like let's say Nina Turner, who is the president of our revolution, which is a pack, which is a pack, right? That Bernie Sanders and Progressive have set up. Again, where the black super packs, where the black pack at? You know, we don't have them. This is just, again, I'm just trying to get people to understand. They don't seem to understand why we don't get agendas passed. And what have you. And I'll get more into that later. But I could see if he's telling somebody like Nina Turner, hey, don't go on CNN arguing with a, a surrogate of, let's say, Amy Kobalar or whatever her name is, or let's say if Joe or Kamala Harris, don't go on there and name call Kamala Harris. Not that I've seen any surrogates of his do that the last election, but, you know, just be be respectful and all this. And I'm like, man, not me. I wouldn't have been telling them that. Of course, you never want to gauge in name calling. You always want to be professional. But by you doing this, you know, maybe you trying to head something off. But in terms of people on Twitter, he ain't got no control of that. And, and those talking heads in the media, it's like he controls quote-unquote Bernie Bowles bros or these army of trolls like Hillary Clinton hired or her super PAC hired, you playing into that. He ain't got no control over that. In fact, they could start a super PAC. How do we know that that same super PAC wasn't being the Bernie bros? You know what I'm saying? Just like how that one company, New Knowledge, set up fake Russian bot accounts to then start following Roy Moore so they I'm telling you man politics is a dirty game and you never know what's really going on unless you do a deep dive analysis 
and you also have, you know, um, some knowledge of the history of these type of things. And you do some critical thinking, but unfortunately, the vast majority of people in the world, and primarily in the United States, we are not trained, we are not equipped to engage in critical thinking. We're trained and equipped to put our trust in talking heads on TV or the radio or where on social media that they're being truthful, honest, and objective. And we're just going to take their word for it. And we, we don't need to do our own analysis. We don't need to do our own research and find out, you know, um, what's closer to the truth and what's straight up disinformation. So, you know, I, 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 I'm kind of mixed on this. I, you know, I don't think you should have to ask your surrogates to be respectful and professional when you're dealing with the uh, surrogates of your rivals or what have you, the people that you're competing against for the nomination. And by you issuing this email, you know, you're kind of buying into or playing into those who are saying that, hey, all the Sanders supporters are nasty and, you know, misogynist and, uh, you know, it's a thin line. You got to walk here. All right. So I'm going to move on, get to the main topic. Um, before I jump into this main topic, I might as well take an early break. Um, take an early break. I'm going to take an early break, um, play a music track, and then we will jump into our non, uh, excuse me, main topics or I should say my main topics, and then, you know, I'll just go through them uninterrupted, and then I'll close out uh, this broadcast. So again, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, then give us a call at 712-770-4160, participant code 2696-26, and just follow the instructions after you hit star six, um, that will alert me that you have a question or comment. Please continue to support the independent black media efforts of the Black Talk Media Project, which built and maintains the um, blacktalkradionetwork.com platform. Um, we are independent platform. Our media operations are totally independent. We use other platforms to distribute media, but if ever YouTube said, hey, I don't like what you're saying or you're this or you're being that and we're going to suspend you for 30 days and we're going to demonetize your channel and or we're going to kick you off Twitter and you can't do no more Periscope videos or we you you got to get off Facebook. Um, you can't do no more Facebook live. See, we don't worry about all that because we have an institution a black media institution called Black Talk Media Project. And I call it an institution is because we've been around for 11 years. And the only way we have been around that long is because of donations from our individual listeners and those who think what we do is important and think we ought to have our own. Because, you know, that, don't get me on that rent, all these people. We need our own this and own that. And when it comes along, um, you stay stuck over there or you don't support. And then when we lose it, then there you go again. We don't have this. We need our own. So make a donation today to Black Talk Media Project. Uh, go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. And when you make a contribution, 
you get more than just you know the um, privilege of listening to to my wonderful voice. <laughs> no, you also can post podcasts, videos, write articles, post them to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com, which has a global audience. You also get a subscription to btrcommunity.com, that social media platform that people said we need our own. And if you're a business sponsor, I'm going to do something new because we got like a $50 donation today from a a business. And I'm going to do something new because we, we have a goal of 1,000 members at $24 a year. You could just be a subscriber or a publisher and, of course, get the BTR community. You'll also control your own ad space through the software on our, our, our platform to monetize your own content. Um, but if you're a business donor, I'm going to come up with a campaign for you that if you give $50 or more that for one year, we will uh, circulate your ads. And the great thing about it is we can geo-target those promos on our website so it only shows up to people in your local area. We can geo-target it by state. I'm still learning the software. Might could even do it by city or zip code. I'm not sure. So if you're a business sponsor, there's another uh, gift that we will give to you to support your black business in exchange for you supporting our black nonprofit uh, media organization. So with that said, let me uh, take this station identification break, kiss some music, and then we'll come back and hit these main topics. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. You know, you are the reason for me continuing, Dr. Anderson. And Jails I just pray in America and I just wonder are being privatized. And they're on the stock exchange. And you don't build a hotel unless you expect occupancy. So when they're building prisons, they want to build them, but they're building them for you. But now they've got to create a culture in the community that lends to violence, crime, drugs, guns, prostitution, and it's a steady pipeline to prison. Talking about drilling down. I look around this room and I see 
kill your brother. So that's the kind of rap you're doing. And then the radio stations are complicit. Because if you make something clean, they don't want to play it. So when you come to the record executives with something clean, but it's got a good beat, hey, that's nice, but see if you keeping it real. And keeping it real means keeping it as it is so that it will never change. come back in the hood riding expensive cars but your brothers and sisters are dying on your words and you are aiding in the conspiracy to exterminate the black male You got to know that at the highest levels of government, they've plotted our demise. Oh boy. No, I'm not a writer. Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to this live broadcast on this February the 25th, 
in the year they call 2019. Real quick about that clip, I've got to give a shout out to Sincere Naquari. You know, brother, we didn't lost touch, man. I got to get back in touch with you. Uh, that's from his God Life Beats uh, track he put out a few years ago, and he sent me some tracks to share on air. Um, you know, the Black Talk Radio Network, and I hadn't heard that one in a long time. And it's just uh, reminded me of a conversation I was having on one of our media partners, Time for Awakening Radio, last night. Um, you might have heard it on this station as well as they simulcast on their station and our station. And they were talking about Obama and him giving speeches, talking about young black men pulling their pants up and young black women stop twerking and all of this and all of that. And like I called in and I stated, it's one, it's okay, nobody's going to say there's anything wrong with speaking truth to the youth about the destructive behaviors. You just heard Minister Farrakhan there speaking truth to the rappers about that drill music, very popular in Chicago, where in Chicago you also got a lot of killing, of black folks killing each other and what have you, listening to this type of music. But Obama never called out the corporations that that promote this type of negative behavior. It's one thing to speak to the youth, and, and I think Bill Cosby was even brought up in, you know, his pound cake speech. And I'm like, I push back against that. Yeah, that message sounds all good and, and what have you, but how are you going to speak to the least of us without speaking to the most powerful people who are promoting this behavior because Malcolm X said to us media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. It controls the minds of the masses. How do you not understand that concept? There have been plenty of scientific studies to prove that that's true. They don't call it programming for no reason. It's radio programming. It's television programming. It's cable news programming. It's to create false perceptions or create a perception so that People will perceive these things to be true or the way to, to um, they ought to act and what have you, and, and then it comes out in their behavior. But at least Farrakhan called out the radio executives. At least Farrakhan called out the radio stations that play this, this, this deadly programming. So I just wanted to make note of that because we were just talking about that last night on time for awakening um you know elliot does his program on sunday nights at seven o'clock p.m eastern time so i was just reminded of that by that track from uh sincere naquari shout out to you brother keep making that music i hope you still are okay so let's get to the main topic senator kamala harris after just weeks ago maybe a week and a half ago I think it was on the Breakfast Club. I'm not sure where I saw it, but she said, oh, yeah, I support a form of reparations. But when she was asked directly about it once again um, by this uh, this uh, reporter, this uh, black woman by the name of Natasha Alford working for the Grio, and, and she said she had just a few minutes left. This is what she said on Twitter. I had just a few seconds left before my interview with Senator Kamala Harris was about to wrap. So I asked about reparations for black Americans. The context of the interview was her proposed policy agenda for black America. Shout out to Natasha S. Alford for getting Kamala Harris on the record on on this question. I didn't see the full interview. Um, I will try to find that. 
But this clip says a lot since, you know, a lot of people talking about reparations and we'll be talking about it on Thursday or Friday night. Um, I'll let y'all know which which night uh, with this this other group that's been around for 30 years and their take on reparations because they aren't pushing for monetary reparations. They they are pushing for reparations in a different form. Um, But let's go ahead and listen to Kamala Harris answer. Uh, to Miss Miss or Mrs. Alford, I think it's a Miss Miss Alford asking her the question. So uh, give me just a second as I get. This. Do you support reparations for Black people? Well, listen. Again, we had over two hundred years of slavery. We had Jim Crow for almost a, a, a century. We had legalized discrimination, segregation, and now we have. It, it, segregation and discrimination that is not legal but still exists and is a barrier to progress. We have disparities around housing. We have disparities around education. We have disparities around income. And we have to recognize that everybody did not start out on an equal footing in this country. And in particular, black people have not. And so we have got to recognize that and do something about that and give folks a lift up. That's why, for example, I'm proposing the LIFT Act. Give people who are making $100,000 or less as a family a tax credit, which will benefit and uplift 60% of black families who are in poverty. So by default, it affects black families, but there's not a particular policy for African Americans that you would explore. But no, if you look at the, the reality of who will benefit from certain policies, when you take into account that they're not starting at, at, at the same place and they're not, stand, they're not starting on equal footing, it will directly benefit black children, black families, black homeowners because the disparities are so significant. So if we focus on the specific issues that have resulted in the greatest disparities and we understand that that's part of why we're doing it, listen, the, the reality also is this. Any policy that will benefit black people will benefit all of society. Let's be clear about that. Let's really be clear about that. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm going to do something that's only going to benefit black people. No, because whatever benefits that black family will benefit that community and society as a whole and the country. Right? Okay, so listen. I'm not going to get in my emotions as I've seen emotional responses on Twitter because there is some validity to what she said as she dodged the question and finally answered and and told you, no, I'm not doing anything specific. Now, I'm going to get to my criticism of of that answer, but let's talk about what she's right about because I I just put out a podcast a couple of days ago where I had gotten an email petition from the Color of Change which is a a black American led organization that advocates mostly around criminal justice issues but other issues as well pertaining to black people and I got the email and what it was talking about the petition is asking prosecutors across the nation to expunge cannabis conviction uh, records and what have you you know, because you go to get a job and, hey, you might have got convicted on a cannabis possession charge um, five years ago. And that's still on your record. And that's just a legal way for the employer to discriminate against you. 
okay? Now, if it's a white person sitting in front of them with the same conviction, you know, then um, they might still get the job. But it is an avenue for legal discrimination. That's what felony disenfranchisement has always been about. And so where she's right is, is that you have to be codified when you're pushing policies and you can't always frame them. And, and man, sometimes y'all have to excuse me, man. Um, cause my brain be going a thousand miles an hour and I'll be talking about something and then something else will pop in my mind. But let me get back to what color of change was talking about. Nothing wrong with what the color of change was talking about. It's just the way they framed it. It was very uncodified. Now I live in a predominantly white County. Don't know my family didn't move out the inner city and come to the suburbs to be around white people. My family has been in this area on this specific land that I'm on right now since the 1700s. Okay. I, I, I am like many black Americans in that I'm not purely African. But we have some Scott Irish uh, uh, ancestors in our family who thankfully were not involved in the slave trade, but they were into land speculation. And they bought a lot of land around here. And then, you know, uh, uh, some of their descendants first married, um, what did my cousin call them? I forget the name of this, this Indian tribe around here. Um, it's not the Cherokee. I mistakenly believe they were Cherokee. Um, was it? I can't, I can't remember. My cousin told me which tribe that, um, one of those Irish immigrants, uh, descendants married. Then once they married that woman, then their children married, um, black Americans more than likely, but I don't want to assume were were descendants of victims of slavery. I don't know that. I haven't seen that in the census. So I'm researching my, um, you know, we got a lot of research to do and we'll be talking about that on Thursday or Friday with that other guy. But, but anyway, I live in a predominantly white County. My family's been here for hundreds of years. There is a, a white um, a white district attorney. Now, this goes to Mr. Neely Fuller's teaching on codification when you're talking public policy with white people. Now, what the Color of Change petition said was, please expunge, or whatever language they use, expunge records for black people. Expunge the records of black people who have been convicted of cannabis. That's incorrect. You can't go, I can't go to my district attorney, local district attorney, I shouldn't say my district attorney because I didn't vote for Lock Bell, but I can't go to Lock Bell, the prosecutor here in Gaston County, and say, Mr. Bell, you know, black people have been disproportionately affected by these cannabis laws, and I know you got a jail full of white people that you prosecuting behind cannabis and meth and all kind of other stuff, but listen, I want you to just just expunge the records of black people. What do, what do you think that man, think logically and not with your emotions. What do you think that man gonna say to me? Why are you being racist, Mr. Reed? What, you don't care about 
white people who have cannabis convictions. And then, like Mr. Fuller said, we're going to be arguing about that. And then what I really want is not going to come to fruition. Okay, so I have to frame my language and say, Mr. Bell, you know, a lot of the country has legalized cannabis, whether recreationally or medicinally, but yet we still got a lot of uh, Americans, American citizens who have these cannabis convictions and it's causing them problems in finding gainful employment. So I think you should do like some of these other prosecutors in Texas and in um, Maryland, um, where else? Um, in Chicago, um, you know, I think that you should expunge the records of people who have these kind of convictions because it's it's just not right. It's not just that anybody should be disenfranchised for a cannabis conviction and kept from gainful employment. Then that's a different conversation that we're going to have than if I had said, Mr. Bell, I just want you to do this for black people. Okay? And that petition, that color change, and I signed it, but I put my own comment in there saying I'm seeking expungement for all people in Gaston County with cannabis convictions. But the, the language in the color of change petition called for specifically black people. Kamala Harris is right, even though she didn't frame it that way, in that it's hard. It's hard for you to get people to support some legislation specifically for black people because we are only 13% of the population. And then many of us have uh, felony uh, convictions and we're not even able to vote. And then there are some of us, whether rightly or wrongly, I'm not going to say either way, who then... Uh, uh, don't vote because they say nothing ever changes so why am I wasting my time I don't take that view but I can understand I understand where that cynicism is coming from again this goes back to something I'm going to talk about a little later and talk about it at the beginning we ain't playing by the rules of the game that's why it's hard for us to advance stuff and then we want to color code stuff when by federal law it's illegal to discriminate. And she was talking about illegal discrimination that's still going on. But then, you know, the, the 64 uh, Civil Rights Bill said you can't discriminate on against somebody based on race, color, creed, religion, national origin. So what? I, so by me, if I went to Lock Bell, District Attorney Lock Bell office, and I said, I want you to just... Uh, um, expunge the records of black people. I'm asking him to commit a crime because it's against federal law for him to discriminate against any Hispanics, any Asians, any any African immigrants. Uh, uh, you know, I'm asking him to discriminate when the just thing to do is just say, and the smart thing to do, the codified thing to do is to say, these cannabis, this disenfranchisement by cannabis convictions is wrong and you should expunge the records of all those who have been convicted for possessing cannabis.
So she's right there. Now, here's where she's wrong. And I've said this before. You can pass race-specific legislation. And if you're talking legislation for reparations, that is lawful. You can do that. You know why? Because they've done it. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the United States stood around and actually supported the Nazi regime of, of, of Germany early on. And that's why uh, Hitler gave him a shout out in his book, Mein Kampf. And how he talked about how they model, um, I ain't going to say he talked about it, but their, um, their race-based discrimination policies was based on stuff that they was observing being done here in America. Jim Crow. They actually, the Nazi party actually sent people here to study the eugenics program. You know, sterilization of black people and not just black people, but primarily black people, but people who was considered feeble-minded or, or, or promiscuous and, and what have you. Some of these programs went on in the United States and here in North Carolina up until the 1980s when I was in high school, they were doing that. Okay. So if you're looking to do repair to certain people, if you're talking about slavery reparations, yes, you can tie that specifically to to uh, the descendants of those black American slaves. You can do that. The Obama administration did it for Jews. Why, why except for the reasons I just mentioned, would the United States be giving reparations to Jews? Okay, that's specific for them. Who else had they paid reparations to? Oh, the Japanese Americans who were put into internment camps during World War II. That was specific for them. Okay, who who else? Now, I wouldn't frame it as reparations, but uh, American Indians sued for the mismanagement of their land and got billions of dollars. That was specific to them. And earlier I was talking about APEC and how it lobbies the American government to pass laws that will benefit foreigners, people who are, e who are not even citizens of the United States. Israel gets $5 billion a year in the form of either currency or military weaponry. Marco Rubio just attached a bill called Combating BDS, which seeks to punish American citizens who participate in anti-discrimination, anti-racist campaigns that call for boycotting Israeli companies, divesting from Israeli companies, and sanctioning Israel itself until it stops practicing racism and abides by international law. When it ends its occupation of Palestinian land and quits shooting down and bombing and murdering Palestinians. Marco Rubio got that passed specifically for them. So Kamala Harris 
saying that she won't do something specifically for black people, check her record and see if she's voted for anything. I know she only been in there a couple of years, but I'm almost sure you'll find her on record voting for legislation that benefits Israelis specifically for them. Okay. Now, let me see. Reparations, reparations. I'll get I'll get to that. But anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna move on from her. But she's on record now of flip-flopping once again. When just weeks ago she said, I support some form of reparations, even though I'm like, well, what form of reparations do do you support? Because as I was trying to have a conversation with somebody today, and I actually did have a conversation by phone and not over social media with a different person. Again, this will be, you know, a, a representative from, I, I, I don't want to say the name of the organization because I don't have it memorized right now, right now, but they've been around for 30 something years. And we were having that conversation. Do y'all really think that the United States has the ability, I should say the US, uh, USA Inc., has the ability, not just the government, because I would argue um, with him, and I didn't remember this, but I would argue with him that certainly these corporations and these banks that benefited from uh, uh, pre-1865 slavery, yeah, they got the money. But the U.S. government itself does not. There are a trillion dollars in debt right now. Do you really think that a white-dominated government with their proxy non-white people that's in their pockets that they control, do you really think that they're going to go $8 trillion, $9 trillion, $10 trillion, trillion $15 trillion, $20 trillion in debt to repair black people? No, it's not going to happen. And we have to be honest about these things. We have to be honest about these things. And Kamala Harris should have just been like Barack Obama and say, I don't support reparations. Instead of telling us one week I support reparations in some form, well, be specific. But but then the next week, no, I'm not going to do nothing specifically for black people. Well, then well, you ain't talking about no kind of form of reparations because reparations don't have to come in the form of a check. And we've had this conversation in the past. How would you want your reparations? In devalued U.S. currency, the, the, the petrodollar, or do you want it in gold, in silver? Or do you want it in land? Or do you want, because I'm going to tell you, they are the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve might loan the U.S. government trillions of dollars to pay reparations because they're going to collect interest on, on, on that. On that loan. See, Federal Reserve don't bl who prints up the money isn't part of the federal government. So I'm not going to say that they wouldn't loan it to the U.S. government, but the U.S. government is not going to take out a loan for $10 trillion, $20 trillion, no trillion dollars to pay us off. And that's, to be, uh, that's just being brutally honest and being realistic. And we'll continue that conversation on Thursday or Friday night um, because the person I'll bring on did have some interesting stuff um, that he was talking about that I agree with. And actually, I've said in the past. 
So, you know, Kamala Harris doesn't, uh, it's not so much that she don't support reparations, but she said, I ain't going to do nothing specifically for black people. That says a lot. That says a lot. And I just had somebody come after me with vitriol. And you know what? When you come at me with vitriol on any media that I post on any platform, and as soon as you call me out my name, I'm deleting your comment. But I had this dude call me a cave dweller because I did the video pointing out that Kamala Harris flip-flop on the civil asset forfeiture, coming out like she supported it. She supported um, the government not having this power when in California she was trying to get that power for the, the state of California to just take people's property and assets without even convicting them of a crime. That guy going to come after me. I call, I said, dude, you ain't got to come at me with this vitriol. I'm not on here telling you a lie. I'm showing you the evidence. I got the receipts. Why are you coming after me like that by me just sharing the truth with you? I can see if I was on here making up some stuff and saying something like, hey, don't vote for Kamala Harris because I don't like black sororities or, or I mean, just think of something stupid. I'm talking about a real issue and I'm giving you the truth. Why are you coming after me with such hate and vitriol? Because you know why? Because you've fallen for that cult of personality that Kamala Harris has cultivated among some black people. You are a fanatic for Kamala Harris. And we all know fanaticism isn't good. Most people who are fanatics, that by default means that you're in your emotions and you're not able to critically think about things. Okay, so here is something out there for you Kamala Harris supporters, you AKA sororities, you Ricky Smiley's and, and whoever else is fronting for her who's trying to prevent any kind of debate on her record as a prosecutor and then just want to try to make it seem like Black folks is hating on Kamala for no reason. And I hate that term. Ain't nobody hating on nobody. We're talking about a person running for a position that has an impact on our lives. They'll be voting for policies that have an impact on our lives. So, you know, I, I don't know how y'all going to defend that because I just told you it's incorrect to say you can't pass stuff specifically for one group of people when they've done it. If you're talking reparations, if you're talking about repairing harm, you certainly can. So either she don't know or she's being dishonest about it. So let me move, move on. This kind of ties into, let me see, uh, what time is it? This story about Representative John Lewis out of Georgia kind of ties into why we can't get stuff passed. We don't hold these representatives accountable. And it's not just holding them accountable because let me tell you something. And I tweeted about this. 
We got black people on Twitter saying, if you ain't got a black agenda, no vote. Do you really think that's a threat towards the system that has spent 150 years either denying you the right to vote or passing laws that take the vote away from you once you've been convicted of some felony or some felony disenfranchisement, or they will be pass, you know, passing voter ID laws and and what they call that exact max signatures on absentee ballots, and we're throwing them out if you didn't write your name the same exact way you wrote your name on your driver's license. You know, if you forgot to put the dot over the I, we're throwing this ballot out. Look, they don't do all of that stuff because they want you to vote. They do that stuff because they don't want you to vote. So I don't know why some black people are thinking that the system cares about black people voting when for 150 years they've been trying to stop black people from voting. You know, again, this goes to critical thinking, man. Y'all need to critically think about stuff. They don't want you voting in the first place, so that ain't no threat. That's just like me telling that person who said, oh, I got to unfollow you because I don't like what you said on Twitter. Dude, that's not a threat that I take serious because I don't get paid by the followers by Twitter or anything of the sort. I'm not collecting ad revenue from what I post on Twitter. So you're making an empty threat. And black people threatening not to vote unless a black uh, uh, a candidate has a black agenda, that's no threat at all. Because if Kamala Harris thought that was a threat, she wouldn't have told you that I'm not going to do anything specifically for black people and she know them, a.k.a. is going to vote for her anyway. The mother gatekeepers is going to vote for her anyway. And the vote that she's really after is white people. We'll vote for her regardless if you vote for or not. That's not a threat. This again speaks to Malcolm X talking about political maturity. Okay? you put, I mean, it's a little too early in the campaign season to threaten somebody with withholding your vote. You know, not voting is not a threat. What's a threat is if you don't have a black agenda, something that's going that, that's going to help black people, then we gonna we going to vote for this person, or we're gonna vote third party because I voted third party in the last two presidential elections because I wasn't voting for Donald Trump, I wasn't voting for Hillary Clinton, both of them. I got receipts for their racism and I didn't believe a word that they were saying or none of the promises that they were making and, and none of that. I'm like, okay, I like the Green Party's platform. Let me vote for Jill Stein. Or, you know, uh, when, when was it? 2012. Man, Barack Obama ain't talking about nothing. He ain't doing nothing. He ain't, he He's still on that hope and change stuff. And we ain't seen much from him uh, from his first term. I'm going with Gary Johnson of the Libertarian Party because at least he wants to end the drug war. And, and you know, and before that, 2008, I wasn't falling for hope and change. What is that? What kind of, prom what kind of promise is that? What is hope going to do for me? You know? And what kind of specific change are you talking about? So, no... I'm going to go with Cynthia McKinney of the Green Party and Rosa Clemente, 
because I trust uh, Cynthia McKinney to do what she says she gonna do, and she has a platform making specific uh, policy uh, proposals and what have you. That's what you threaten them with. Threatening not to vote, to stay home from the polls and not participate. That's what they want. Now, let's talk a little bit about political maturity. And you have some real life lessons that, that we as a voting block can learn from. So there's a voting block called progressives. And they created a super PAC. After, you know, Bernie Sanders lost the 2016 election. Well, you know, some of that money left over from his campaign, he legally rolled it over to start a PAC called Our Revolution. And he made Nina Turner, the former Ohio, uh, that black woman, I think she was a state legislator, legislator. She never made it to Congress or I don't even think she ran for Congress. I could be wrong on that. She made, he made her the president of it. And since 2016, they've been groom, uh, uh, recruiting candidates, grooming candidates, and running candidates in the Democratic Party to push for more uh, uh, progressive policies through the Democratic Party. And they won some seats that way. Okay? They won some seats that way. So we have a we have real-world or real life lessons of how the game is played. And we we many of us who who are talking heads, we don't even know the rules of the game and we just talking. We just getting people in their emotions and it's never going to go no further than rabble rousing and hashtags. I'm sorry, I'm just got to be I have to be honest with you because if I lie to you, then that means I don't care nothing about you. That means I don't respect you. If I lie to you. Now, John Lewis needs to be primaried. Those Justice Democrats, that's another pack. Or our revolution. When John Lewis is up, because black people, we don't have a we don't have any organizations like that. As of yet. Maybe it'll happen, you know. Maybe we can get Oprah or I highly doubt that. I'm just saying. I'm just using her as an example because she's a billionaire. But maybe we can get people like Kaepernick to pool their resources and, and start a super PAC. That's a good idea. Need to propose that to Kaepernick. Start a super PAC. And get and start, you know, like how he run his Know Your Rights camp for young people. Hey, we need to be uh, doing like the Democrats and the Republicans. And, and training up our political candidates of the future and running them in the races as Democrats because it's a two-party system. It's very rare for an independent to get to get in the office. You might could get a Green Party member elected on a local level. They have made some gains on a, on a state level. <coughs> but I'm talking federal here. I'm talking to U, U.S. Congress. Representative Lewis needs to be primaried. As you heard, if you was listening at the time, Minister Farrakhan talk about them giving um, uh, police military weaponry. Well, that's through a federal bill that John Lewis supported. 
that votes for as long as he's been in office, he ain't never voted against the bill that was going to benefit the police or give them uh, grants to make drug arrests and all of that kind of stuff. John Lewis is an establishment Democrat. He is not the John Lewis you know from old footage of him getting bust upside the head on on the Edmund Pettus Bridge and walking with Dr. King and all that. He's establishment now because he saw Dr. King get murdered for standing on principle. He saw Malcolm X get murdered for standing on principle. So he was like, I ain't trying to get murdered. So, um, no, I'm just going to become part of the establishment that those men were opposed to in the many women as well. Okay. So now John Lewis just introduced the bill along with this other Democrat by the name of Reuben Gallego, a Democrat out of Arizona. They just introduced a bill, according to national news, to pave the way to higher education for dreamers. What are dreamers? Dreamers are the children of undocumented immigrants, you know, coming here. And John Lewis said, don't call them illegal. Nobody's illegal. Well, you know, I kind of agree with we shouldn't use dehumanizing language, but they crossed the border illegally. They came into this country and it brought these very, very young children who were maybe two, three, four, five years old. And they've been in this country. They don't know nothing but this country. And, you know, um, but their legal status is sort of in limbo. They're kind of like those victims of slavery right after the Civil War before, uh, who didn't have any legal status whatsoever in this country before the passage of the 14th Amendment. That's sort of like how the dreamers are. They don't really have any legal status. Okay? So, that's what the dreamers are. So, Representative John Lewis out of Georgia, Democrat, and Representative Ruben Gallego, Democrat out of Arizona, reintroduced the Higher Education Dream Act of 2019 as a response to discriminatory actions states have taken and some intend to take to block the attendance of some immigrants to college and university education. This bill would prohibit institutions that receive federal funds from refusing to admit enroll or grant in-state tuition benefits to qualified students based on their immigration status. It would also expand federal financial aid opportunities to dreamers. You know, John Lewis, didn't he support the Obama administration uh, rule changes to Pell grants that harm black people? And why is this specific for dreamers. Again, I'm not demonizing dreamers, but this goes back to what Kamala Harris said. I'm not going to do, I can't do anything specifically for black people, but will she do this specifically for these immigrant children? You know? No human being is illegal, the author of the bill, Representative John Lewis says, who introduced this legislation in the last Congress. 
Immigration status should not become an excuse to treat people in an inhumane way. We should be making it easier, not harder, for people who have the desire to pursue an education to get one. People who are informed are better participants in this society where they live. They tend to instill the value of education in their children and help create a more enlightened world. I am proud to introduce this bill with my colleague, Representative Gallagher, as a way to open the doors of opportunity for young immigrant students. I was appalled by the Arizona State Supreme Court decision last year to bar DACA recipients from receiving in-state tuition at colleges and universities in our state, said Representative Galago. So, I, you know, I'm going to cut it off there. Um, you can read the rest of the article because I don't need to read all of it. Again, don't get me wrong. I am not one of these xenophobic black people up here who hate immigrants or I'm got this crab in a barrel mentality where I'm talking about immigrants in a derogatory way and like they taking from something from me because how is it your it's not like it's something that's in your possession and they coming up and they taking it no this is being given to them by these people not by us by these people by people like Lewis and Gallagher U.S. representatives okay and so I know that these immigrants ain't just coming here. Some of them do. But the vast majority of South American, Central American, and Mexican immigrants come here because they flee in uh, uh, destabilization, violence, mass murder, the overthrows of their nations because they elected a government that would give them social programs to help the poor. And so then that's when the Elliot Abrams uh, goes and gives weapons to death squads and then those death squads go about murdering those type of people. That's when you bring Elliot Abrams in and try to, you know, get these useful idiots on the border of Venezuela and, and make this noise about uh, 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 humanitarian aid, which you already got a record of smuggling weapons in, and then, you know, then you start murdering the black and non-white um, Venezuelans who support Maduro. So I know, I, I know a lot of these people are fleeing life and death situations. And I can empathize with that. But when it comes to you, we're in this country, I have to say our house comes first. And what I'm saying is, if people in my own household, let's let's say my children, and my children are grown now and, and you know they have their own homes, but my children, let's say I got minor children, and I'm more concerned about homeless people eating to the detriment of my own children eating. See, that's what Representative John Lewis is doing here. Okay? Because where's the bill that he introduced? And again, you ain't got to do it in a color-coded manner because it will be hard to pass because we're not talking reparations now, but we're talking repairing uh, people who have been locked out of ed higher education 
because of prison slavery, because they got felony convictions. Where is the legislation that allows people with felony convictions to get Pell Grants and whatnot? Or to get in state tuition, and it varies state by state, but where, where is that legislation? What is he doing specifically for Americans to obtain higher education? Because when Bernie Sanders was out there talking about free tuition for state colleges and universities, Bernie, uh, John Lewis, who was a Hillary Clinton surrogate, was talking against that. In fact, it was black people supporting Hillary Clinton saying, oh, we we don't need free tuition to go to college and, and all of that. And I'm like, wait a minute, speak for yourself. I wish I wish that was something in place when I was 20 years old and I wouldn't have joined the U.S. military and put my life on the line and turned into a murderer for white supremacy and been sent off to, um, you know, the Gulf War. I would have never joined if it had been free college tuition at, at, you know, at state colleges, universities, community colleges, that's already getting taxpayer dollars. I'd have never joined the military. I went in for college money. I didn't go in cause I saw some movie that glorified being in the U.S. Army. I didn't fought, go join the military because of the military's halftime shows during the NFL uh, or any sporting event. That's not why I joined the, the U.S. military. I joined the U.S. military because I come from a poor black family and that's the only way I saw a path forward to go to college. Especially since I had dropped out of high school in the 11th grade due to racism, white supremacy, not because I had bad grades and not just racism, white supremacy, but I had some other personal issues that was going on. But I later got my GED, my high school diploma equivalency and scored very, very high because, you know, I'm not going to brag, but I always score high on tests all throughout school. And I just got that kind of memory. I read it. I remember it. I can answer the questions. And then I also had a skill I developed, the process of elimination, when you're taking multiple answer uh, uh, tests. I mean, when you have a question and there's multiple answers. Okay, so the question is, is what is 2 plus 2? Well, I know it ain't 5. Well, I know it ain't 7. I know it ain't nine. It must be four. You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, I would have never joined the military. I had the grades to get into any college in the United States. I had the test scores. I didn't have the money. My family didn't have the money. And going and going into debt was out of the question. I was not going to ask my mother to go into debt signing on to loans and stuff just so I can go to college? No. I was like, that would hurt my family. I'll join the military for, you know, four years and get the GI Bill. So Representative Lewis needs to be primaried out his seat. He's been in there too long. 
doing the bidding of different lobbying groups and what have you and not doing nothing specifically for us. He's He voted to fund police and give them military weaponry, but he did not attach a bill like HR 40 for reparations or, or anything specific that was going to help us. The communities that he represents that keep for some reason sending him to Congress and Congress to do nothing for them. That's how politics work. Again, they got a must-pass spending bill. Okay, well, I got this bill over here that I wrote that's going to help black people in this way or that way, so I'm going to attach it to your bill, and the only way that you're going to get my vote or get this bill passed is to, you know, allow me to attach my bill, and it passes along with what you want. You get something, I get something. That's how they do it in Congress. Or do you know how how politics work in this country? Have you not paid attention to how politics work in this country? Do you know how governments function? How legislation gets passed? Have you been paying attention? Or do you think we can just create hashtags and get on social media and say, I want this, and if I don't get it, I ain't voting for you. That's not how things get done in this country. I wish it was that simple. Should you do those things? Of course, that's part of it. That's part of it. But you're missing a very, very important component, which I'll get to, you know, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself about do black people know the rules of the game? Have black people created institutions to advance this legislation? Or are we just rabble-rousing? Are we just creating media talking about the problem because we don't know what else to do? And a lot of it's not our fault because we don't have the resources to fund a billion-dollar super PAC. I mean, I guess collectively, I don't want to say no, we don't, because we spend money on stuff that that we don't really need. It's not a necessity, necessity, it's a want. And we could sacrifice some of those wants and invest them in a black institution like a super PAC to grease the wheels, to get reparations passed, or to get politicians to, to repeal and replace the 13th Amendment, which legalized the new form of slavery, that would then, if we repeal it and replace it and remove the exception clause, then then there's no exceptions for slavery and there's no incentive for a state to lock me up or the federal government to lock me up on all these BS crimes because you're not going to get paid. You're not going to make money off of it because I can prove that this is slavery. Okay, there, there is more to this than what people realize is what I'm saying because we don't pay attention to how other groups get stuff done. You know, uh, American Indians got casinos where white people and black people come to their casinos and, and spend a bunch of money and then they can take that money and then they can lobby Congress by paying lobbyists to go get them what they want. 
okay? Jewish people and white evangelicals, they got APAC in military, in the military industrial complex. They got APAC. They give that money to them because they got the money to give. And then they can get legislation passed that's only going to benefit Israel and Americans who sell weapons to Israel. We don't have that. We can't threaten, we're, we can't threaten John Lewis with, hey, dude, if you don't straighten up and focus more on your number one constituents that put you on, on in office and introduce some bills to do this, that, or the other, then dude, we gonna run ads against you. Cause we got this super pack over here and we got the money to to pay for ads on cable networks and television networks and radio networks and see we we ain't got that. And guess what? We don't even have the media that most people, the media infrastructure that most people. Now, Black Talk Media Project had a vision of not just being an internet-based radio platform with a global audience. I actually had the vision to create physical, digital radio stations in black communities to replace those that we lost because Clear Channel paid a bunch of lobbyists to change laws that prevented them from buying up, having more than two or more than one or two stations in any given market. Now they can have eight stations and the black independent radio station can't compete with that now. See, they lobbied Congress to get the laws changed. And now we're losing black radio stations I mentioned this morning on Tando Radio Show, on Dave's show, how Mr. Preston Brown in Richmond, Virginia, had that black radio station for years, and he's lost it now, was forced to sell it because black people wasn't supporting it. And certainly the white corporations wasn't taking ads out because guess what? Clear Channel has a station that has black people on it, and so we're going to support the white ownership. We're not supporting black ownership. So Coca-Cola is going to advertise on the white station with black people on it and programming, targeting black people with harmful music or entertainment or political talk that ain't really that deep. That's sort of like, let's say, uh, what we saw when we saw Hillary Clinton and Kamala Harris on excuse me, Kamala Harris on The Breakfast Club. See, them type of shows are on white stations and white corporations support those stations. Not so much black independent stations. So we don't even got the media infrastructure like we had in the 1960s. That's why the civil rights and the black power movement was able to gain the traction that it had because Martin Luther King could drop in on that local black radio station speaking just to those people in that community and organize them. We don't have that. I had a vision to create that, but because I don't want to be co-opted, I don't seek grants from those corporations. I don't seek advertisement from those corporations and 
I don't know, call it naivete on my part, but I kept hearing black people say, we need this, we need our own. And I thought black people, at least by the thousands, considering any given month, 10,000 to 30,000 will be tuned in just to this radio station, Black Talk Radio, not to mention the other stations that's on our platform that's part of our network or the podcast. I, I don't know. Maybe I was naive. Maybe I thought black people were going to put their money behind something they said we needed. You know, the old saying, Bill did and they will come where they didn't come. They came to listen, but they didn't come to support. So that's part, again, of how you get stuff passed. You need media to frame the narrative. And we saw that with the Clinton administration. I mean, excuse me, not the Clinton administration, but with Hillary Clinton's campaign. All, she had most of the liberal media all on her side, even the black media that's on white radio stations and owned by white people. Oh, all of them was trashing Bernie Sanders and propping up Hillary Clinton. That's another component to it, media. Or if you was on Twitter or you was on Facebook or you was on YouTube and some of them heel bots that was, you know, working for that super pack, oh, they, they making up stuff and they complaining and then you got banned, didn't you? You got accused of misogyny and no and, and YouTube pulled those corporate ads from your channel and all this and that. See, we don't have and John Henry Clark and Malcolm X talked about this, having black institutions. We don't have those. We're losing them. And we're not replacing what we've lost using new technology. So, But if I was the president, and I'm not suggesting I should be because I don't have that expertise, I don't have that experience in how to run super PACs and, and how to grease the wheels and all that, there's people with those skills. Matter of fact, this guy on Twitter, and the only reason I ain't bring him on, he was like, hey, man, I'm a lobbyist, and, you know, I'll work for y'all to get some reparations and stuff, but you got to pay me and all that, but I like to come on Black Talk Radio and talk about it, and I was like, okay, dude, where's your website? Okay, dude, I found you on LinkedIn, and... It don't really say nothing. It's not giving me enough information about you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are, and I ain't got time to be wasting. So I ain't bring him on because I couldn't verify his work. And when I asked him for references, you know, just like anybody else, when you apply for a job and they ask for reference, he couldn't give me no references that he was who he said he was. So I ain't bring him on. But if I had a super pack, then I would be targeting, John Lewis would be in my crosshairs to be primaried because of stuff like this. He always on some old symbology type stuff. Remember that time they was occupying the chambers of the house in Congress? Oh, we gonna do a sit-in in Congress. Dude, we didn't hire you to be an activist in Congress. 
You weren't, your constituents didn't elect you to go up there and stage sit-ins. They elected you to get up there and pass legislation. John Lewis needs to go. But that's up to the people in his district. Y'all can keep falling for the okie doke or y'all can raise up a primary opponent that's going to support your agenda, whatever your agenda is for your district in Georgia. You know better than me what y'all need. So that's pretty much it. That's pretty much it because the last thing I was going to talk about, I've already, you know, been going over it. What does it take to advance an agenda of legislation through the U.S. Congress? Do black people have what it takes? If you're being honest, you have to say no. First of all, the majority of us, far too many of us, are living paycheck to paycheck. We lucky if we got $500 in savings in the bank. Second of all, those among us who do have money, like the professional athlete, like the entertainer, the Hollywood entertainer, like the black billionaires and hundred millionaires and multi-millionaires, they ain't doing what other communities do other groups do that are getting advanced. They ain't starting no super PACs. They're not pooling their resources. Most of those people like Oprah, I bet you she's donated money to Democrats and that will get her. Get them at her house. She can have a fundraiser at her house. But apparently those fundraisers, reparations ain't being pushed abolishing slavery from the U.S. Constitution, prison slavery ain't being pushed. I don't know what Oprah's talking to these people about. Do you? Do we have what it takes? Some of us have the resources, but we ain't using those resources in a way to benefit us as a people. We don't have the super PACs. We don't have the media infrastructure. We don't have the organizations that's training up the politicians of the future for our communities. So if you're being honest with yourself, if you can stand to do some critical thinking and some self-reflection about the state of black America, if you want to call it that, if such a thing exists, Do we have what it takes to advance an agenda of legislation through the U.S. Congress and get signed into law by a CEO of USA Inc.? The honest answer, based on the evidence, is no. We don't. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm trying to be a realist. Is it too late to work on those things? No, it's never too late to do anything. It's never too late. 
but it's going to take grassroots lobbying to get that infrastructure in place to these black people with money who can hire the people that we need to run the super PACs and what have you to push a black agenda. When that happens, then we got a chance. Until then, I'm just going to be real. I'm just a rabble rouser on the internet advocating for justice, but I don't have the means to produce justice. This has been Scotty. I'm going to sign off. I, I don't need to belabor the point. I hope this program has been constructive. If you think it's constructive, then share it with other people. Don't get into your emotions and come at me sideways because I ain't, I ain't got time to waste like that. Don't waste your time because I'm not going to reach. Soon as I see the first person calling me out my name or saying I'm some petty stuff like I'm jealous of somebody, you, your comment getting deleted because I understand the propaganda game. So I'm going to suppress your negativity. Now, if you disagree with me, and you have another point of view, you're more than welcome to present that point of view in the comment sections or whatever. And and if I feel like I got some time, I'm, I might respond to you. I may not. But I, it's it's time out for the vitriol and the negative. Scotty ain't got no time for that. There I go talking about my grandson, talking about himself in third person earlier today. And here I am talking in, talking in about myself in the third person. I wonder where he got it from. <laughs> wow. But anyway, thank you for those who have tuned in and for those that are listening later. Um, Please support our campaign, our push to get a thousand subscribers who can also be publishers of content on our network and also get a membership to our social media community. And if you're a business sponsor, I'm going to launch a campaign for you specifically after I was inspired by a $50 donation from a black business today because they came in their business name. And I'm going to reach out to them, but create a campaign that if you give $50 or more as a business, we will run uh, promos for your business on our network. And we can even uh, make it so that only people who live in your area see the ads. Because what's the point of you? What's the point of somebody in California seeing an ad for your plumbing business and you in North Carolina? That don't make no sense. That's just a waste. So, um, you know, be looking looking forward to those campaigns that we'll be launching soon. With that said, recognize the fact that we live behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. where they're practicing legalized slavery and we need to end it by any means necessary. Peace and blessings to all. Please, please be safe out there. Don't be a coward, but don't be stupid. I'm out.